Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Hello and welcome to the FSA Club Podcast of the Year. It's all cobblers to me and another of our special Wembley 97 episodes. I'm Charles Commons and like you, while 32,000 cobblers fans were inside Wembley, probably with me, on the 24th of May 1997, there were still many more back home in Northamptonshire, all no doubt trying to keep up to date with what was happening at the game. And the easiest way for most, as it still is the case today, was to turn on the radio and tune into 104.2 or 103.6 FM for BBC Radio Northampton. And on that day, it was Mike Sewell providing the commentary, and I'm delighted to be able to welcome him to It's All Cobblers to me today. Hi, Charles. I just have to add that Tim Oglethorpe was commentating on the game as well. We split the commentary uh, across the time. 
uh, of the game. And obviously Tim is still involved now. Um, but yeah, it was me and, and Tim. And I think it was Steve Berry was our summariser that day. You see, now I would never have remembered any of that detail. So thank you for that. <laughs> I find it hard <laughs> to go back that far. But <laughs> no, you can't forget a day like that. Absolutely not. Now, I'm, I'm sure that your voice is quite recognisable to most of our listeners. But just in case, can you just help jog our memories of where we might have heard you before? Well, you probably wouldn't have heard of me before Radio Northampton because uh, I worked at BBC Radio Norfolk because I'm from Norwich originally. But after Radio Northampton, I'd spent three years there. I moved on to Five Live on the networks. So I was involved with Five Live Sport doing matches on a Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon and Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whenever. And uh, I did that for probably about 13 years as a staffer at the BBC and then as a freelancer for sort of seven or eight years after that. So that's where some people might recognize my my voice from and, and those that were regular loyal listeners to BBC Northampton across the years will probably probably remember me from yeah from that final and uh, and the, the lucky time I had I was only there three years and yeah I went to Wembley twice as a commentator that was my first appearance at Wembley as a commentator in 1997 in my very first season with the Cobblers in fact it was my first full season as a commentator because at Radio Norfolk I was the backup and I did local football. I didn't do Norwich very often. So this was my first full season. So as you can imagine, it was a big deal. Well, as you said, you, you started at Radio Northampton in, in the October of 96. At that point, did you have any inkling of, of how good the side was going to turn out to be? Not at all. In fact, I remember being still being in Norwich and I'd obviously got the job, but I was I couldn't go for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe that I had to cover the editor in Norwich, but I couldn't start until the 1st of October. So I missed the first six weeks of the season, but clearly I was keeping a close eye on what was happening. And I, I vividly remember looking at the result from the first game of the season where the Cobblers played at Wigan, where I think from memory, the team bus got stuck in traffic on the M6. The team was late. I think they got fined for it. And then they lost 2-1 and had two players sent off. So that was a, that was my <laughs> welcome uh, to being um, the Radio Northampton sports producer. I was thinking, oh, this looks like it might be a good season. And of course, they didn't have a very good start at all. So by the time I got there on the 1st of October, they were fairly low down the table. I, I don't know what position they were in. And uh, I was thinking, oh my goodness me, what am I taking on here? But as as history tells us, by the end of that season, it was uh, a complete contrast. So I would have never, ever expected to be commentating at Wembley, what, nine months later. It's funny, isn't it, how you remember those strange things, especially seeing as you'd not actually started <laughs> properly working <laughs> for Radio Northampton at that time. That's something that that sticks in your mind. What's weird is I can't actually remember what my first game was. I, I, I can remember that, but I don't remember. I, I, if I went back and looked at the fixtures, I could probably tell you what the first game was from looking at the date, but I don't remember the first game that I did. It must be. I mean, at that point, as you say, you've not done main commentary before. So it's, it's a step up for yourself. So there must have been a lot of excitement for you going into that job. Yeah, a lot of excitement. I was slightly nervous. It was actually a big deal for me, full stop, because I, um, I had left home when I was younger and lived somewhere else for six months. But this was a big deal because I had left home my parents, I was living on my own in Norwich, but I moved to a town in Northampton that I knew nobody. 
I didn't know anyone. I I had an ambition that I wanted to get to Five Live in the end, and so I I knew that I needed to do a producer job because uh, I was just a reporter as a freelance. But at Norfolk, there was a guy who had just got the job. There was no chance of progressing there for a few years. So I started looking elsewhere, and then of course Northampton, not being far from Norwich. I applied for the job. I didn't actually expect to get it. I remember the uh, managing editor at the time told me it was a close call between me and somebody else, but they gave me the shot and um, I was really, yeah, I was excited, but at the same time, it was slightly scary because I, I was moving somewhere. I didn't know anybody and and I had to obviously brush up a little bit on Northampton. I'll be honest. I, I knew a bits and pieces of the George Best uh, game and things like that, and the county ground, and and the fact that the fans used to stand round, stand round the edge of the pitch. But you have to, you have to kind of learn about that club and get into it. And I did, and um, I got there, and it was tough because I, I also was doing early shifts, so I was getting up at four o'clock every day, um, five days a week to do the early shifts, and then doing games on a Saturday. It was quite, it was full on, and I put a lot of pressure on myself, and so the beginning was quite difficult, but. I have to say that the whole Wembley experience was a was a massive, on a personal level, and I know this means nothing to anybody else, but on a personal level, it was a major boost to me because I did even consider leaving uh, around the Christmas period because I wasn't overly happy. It wasn't so much the cobbler, it was just the whole thing of being moving to a town where you didn't know anybody and getting up early and not being able to go out in the evening because you had to get up so early in the morning. And I remember my parents saying, look, give it the full season, see how you get on, Go and share a house rather than live on your own and things like that and give it another shot. And it was they, they the ones that made me stick it out. And and that whole experience, Wembley, the celebrations on the Monday, it just made me, I, I don't know, I felt I suddenly felt at home. And yeah, that, that whole experience really made Northampton home for me. And I stayed for 20 years. <laughs> I always think with any of the BBC local stations, regardless of who you are and where you're actually from, the whole ethos of it is that you get involved in the community and it, it you're representing that community aren't you with their stories and and being a voice for them and so you can't just turn up and go right well I'm just going to commentate on this football team without having any kind of affiliation towards them whatsoever any feelings about them at all I presume Mike being a Norwich lad you're a Norwich City fan Yes, yeah, I am. I'm born and bred. I mean, I was a Liverpool fan when I was about um, seven or eight. I loved Kenny Dalglish when they won the European Cup in 78. I remember that game as a very young boy. But so I was a big Liverpool fan. Then my dad took me, funnily enough, he took me to the game where Justin Fashionu scored the goal of the season in 1980. It was an unbelievable game. Liverpool won 5-3, I think. David Fairclough was the super sub. Fashionu scored the goal of the season. And I was kind of hooked, but he said, you've got to support your hometown club. So he took me back again and we went and saw Norwich play Spurs. And from that moment on, I was a Norwich fan and we got a season ticket. And funny enough, I seem to be quite fortunate here because the first year I had a season ticket at Norwich, we got to the Milk Cup final and we won the Milk Cup. So <laughs> I'm quite fortunate when it comes to Wembley. I always seem to just arrive at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Liverpool because of those days. They were the best team in the country back in the 70s and early 80s. Um, but yeah, Norwich is my team. But of course, Northampton, I hope people understand when they're listening to this that Northampton is definitely my second team because I lived there for 20 years, lived there almost as long as I did in Norwich. But I have, because I have this affinity, and like you do, with your hometown, there's just something about your hometown and the hometown club. It's, it's in your DNA, 
so to speak, because you, you've born there, you grow, grew up there. But Northampton are very much my second team. And um, it's weird, really. You get into it. And like you say, when I, when I first arrived, I had to kind of go back in time a bit to get some of the background. But once I'd been there that season, yeah, we had to, we had to cover Rushton and Diamonds and Kettering press conferences. Rushton were on the up at the time. We did Silverstone. We had all the local teams like Cookno. And I made sure I didn't pronounce it wrong when I first got there. And uh, so, yeah, you, you get into it. And once you, once you live in the town, once you, once you see the area, uh, I mean, I love, I absolutely love Abington Park. It's still my favorite park in the whole world. I love it. I used to live down the road from there and I miss it. I miss being able to go there. I always, because obviously when you go on to do the commentary for Radio 5 and you're doing Premier League games, Champions League games, international games as well, you don't necessarily well, there's a there's a much more kind of you want to just be as unbiased as possible. Whereas with local radio, and I know that you get this sometimes in the more northern areas of the country, where you'll have commentators who are incredibly biased towards the team that they're commentating on, and you get some incredible moments where commentators go absolutely wild. And it must be quite difficult at first to almost put that same kind of level of energy and passion into commentating on a team that you at the beginning you've got no real affinity with you you'd rather be watching Norwich and if it wasn't for your uh, your job and being paid to do it then then you probably wouldn't go to a Northampton game or you certainly wouldn't have moved there I would imagine so is it is it hard is it difficult to get into that mindset of I'm commentating here for Northampton town fans this isn't necessarily for a, a national audience who might tune in to just hear this particular game everyone listening is listening because of it's Northampton and and they are supporting that team yeah i don't think it takes long to naturally find yourself immersed in it. Certainly in my case, by the end of that season, I was fully immersed. When you first arrive, obviously I didn't know anybody. I didn't know Ian Atkins to chat to, but after a few months of doing press conferences and matches, you get to kind of get an affinity. And then you, you because you're, you're sort of in it and you're doing every game and every little element of the team and what's happening, you, you do find yourself consumed by it. There may not be that natural affinity that I had with my hometown team, but um, yeah, I would say within a few months, I was well into it. And I mean, some of the players, I, and I, I wasn't one of these people that felt that like I needed to be mates with anybody. And, and I didn't, didn't feel that was right anyway. I, I mean, some, some people who work in the industry get on well and become friends with players and things. I, didn't, I never really had that, but I always felt they were good people to talk to. Woody was obviously the main one, and I've bumped into him several times over the years since, and he's always I had numerous chats with him in tunnels around the country. And Ian as well. I bumped into Ian a few times at Birmingham and Villa and places like that, and you sort of you still got that connection. It's quite nice to sort of have that connection of, even though I didn't play in the team and I'm not going to take any credit for what happened, but you're involved. And it's in, looking back now and you're doing the celebratory and podcasts and they've got the big event on the 20th it it really brings it all back and you realize how much it meant even though even though I wasn't I'm not a Northamptonian I didn't play in the team but it means a heck of a lot and I and I say this and I don't say this lightly and I know I said this before um when they had I think the 10 year celebration even then and now and 
like you said, I've worked, I worked on Premier League. I worked at the World, I commentated at the World Cup, and that was a big thing for me and massive moment to be able to commentate on a World Cup game. But as an individual moment, and that weekend, that is still the standout moment, the frame goal, and what ha- happened afterwards. That is still a standout moment in my career. That that goal at Wembley. And, and I'm not saying that just to do it because I'm speaking to you. It's still when I sort of think about it and I watched, funny enough, I watched the highlights when, when you contacted me and said you wanted to speak to me. I thought, I'm going to watch the highlights again because I can't remember much about the game other than the frame goal and the Hegs volley, the Hegs volley at the beginning. And I wonder, and I'm sure there's thousands of Coppers fans out there thinking, what would have happened if Hegs' shot hadn't been saved by Woody? If Woody hadn't saved that shot, that game could have been so different. Absolutely. I mean, let, let's talk about uh, that that game, the build up to it. Obviously, it's the first major event that you will have commentated on, uh, setting you up quite nicely for what was to come in your career, I think. We've heard from players about how their preparation kind of goes. And obviously, there's an awful lot of trying to keep the nerves at bay, trying to keep the excitement down and trying to treat it as any other game that you might be wanting to play. But slightly different for you. There's not really the same kind of pressure on, on yourself, but obviously you're wanting to do it justice. What was the build-up like in, in that week or so from the moment that we'd got through having beaten Cardiff in the semi-finals to then the appearance at Wembley? Was it was it a fun time or, or were you actually quite worried and nervous that you'd do it justice? I'd say that there wasn't enough time to think about it being fun or even being nervous because and, and all local radio producers at the BBC will tell you this. They work really hard. They have lots of things to do. They kind of take on everything themselves, certainly in those days. And I, I remember it just being manic in that week. We had to book lines at Wembley through Five Lives production manager. We had to make sure we had the right ISDN lines. We had to, the, the news team had to book a spot outside Wembley to be able to speak to the fans on the way in. Obviously, there's all the news programs that went around it. And I, I was obviously contributing to that and they're saying well we want to speak to this player and can we do this and there was the pre-match uh, press day at Sixfields where they had the band didn't they and I remember Ian Sampson playing the drums and <laughs> it was yeah it was full on and you don't really have much time to think I guess probably the time I had to think was on the journey up there I'd obviously done my prep and I sat in the car and I was I don't even remember if Tim drove or I drove or somebody else drove it's weird that the day itself I remember bits of the day but I don't, I remember very little about the game. I really do. Apart, I, I remembered the Higgs volley and obviously the frame goal, but it's so hard to remember the match. I think it just goes so, so quickly. I mean, it was a game that most would say was probably heading most likely towards nil-nil uh, and extra time and penalties. It, it was literally right at the death that the free kick is awarded and John Frayne obviously has a go, first of all, only for, I think it was encroachment of the wall uh, that led to it being retaken. And then obviously the famous moment happens where John Frayne scores. I want to see if we can, because one of the, first of all, uh, do you still have that? You're not going to ask me to re-commentate, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'd be interested to know whether you've still got a copy of that copy. I, I do. It's on a cassette somewhere here in my study, but I've, I've got it. 
I I haven't listened to it for a long time now, but it, it does it honestly gives me goosebumps. Partly because it I listen and go oh a cringe because my voice I say as well um, it was the day my voice broke in my career because my voice went very high after the initial when the ball went in and then uh, I say something along the lines of John Frayne has sent Northampton into the second division something like that and my voice was got really high. The one thing the one thing I remember about just before the free kick was taken when you're commentating. And I know you, you guys, you received a, an award from John Murray at the end of last year, didn't you? And John, obviously, I work with, and John is the master. He's the master of spotting things around the stadium. That Everybody else has got their eyes focused on the pitch and on what's happening. John's got his binoculars out, and he's looking over there because <laughs> he spots somebody. He spots a steward, or he spots someone doing something else, or a guy down the corner. And anyway, I'd always remembered that from being told these things by Peter Drury and people. And, and, and that day, between when the guy jumped the wall and the free kick was going to be retaken, I looked down towards the bench because we were on that side of the stadium and Ian turned around and walked back towards the dugout. And it was a fair walk and he pulled out, I think it was a St. Christopher. It might have been a cross, but I think it was a St. Christopher. He pulled it out from underneath his shirt and he kissed it and put it back in. And I mentioned it in the commentary and Later, at a later date, I spoke to him about it. I think it was given to him by his late father. I think that was a really nice moment to see that. And then, literally 15 seconds later, Frayne hits the ball in the bottom corner, and all hell breaks loose. But it, yeah, that that that's encapsulate that that moment between Ian walking back to the dugout and John scoring and everybody mobbing him. That encapsulates the whole the whole experience. Really, I saw Ian Atkins just then kiss. Either a cross or a St. Christopher hanging around his neck. He senses that this could be the moment the Cobblers make in Division 2. They're going to get a second bite at this. Frame took the first one. Maybe Hunter will take this second free kick just outside the D. John Frame and Roy Hunter. Lee, Grayson and the like are in the penalty area. Referee blows his whistle. Frame sets forward, takes it again. Left foot and he scored! John Frame has scored for the Lantern Town! When the ball goes in the back of the net, are you on your feet at that point? Has that got you up off your seat? I don't remember. We were right at the back of the stand. This is old Wembley, obviously, and so it was a bit. It was about it was three years from being knocked down, wasn't it? So it was. Um, we were right next to the the closed booths. We were in the open area, and then me, Tim, and Steve were sat side by side. I don't remember whether I stood up or not. I mean, I have done in commentary since. I must have done. Unless I was wedged in like you are at six fields where you, you can't possibly, you can't move your knees for two hours. I often sort of wonder about that. When you're sort of, I mean, nowadays, it, it, obviously we, we often see, don't we, what's happened in the studio when a goal has gone in. So like Match of the Day are on and they've got, I don't know, Ian Wright and Alan Shearer in the studio and it's an England game at the World Cup or something. And, and they'll show that what happened at that point in the studio when whoever it was for England scored. 
and they all go absolutely crazy, just like any other fan has done in the stadium on that day. And I always think it must be so difficult sometimes for commentators to keep their call in any of those kind of moments. Yeah, it, again, when, I, when I've heard that since, if for a while it bugged me that I, my voice had sort of cracked and gone gone very high-pitched. And I, oh, no. And I was really unhappy with it, after the actual commentary after that. I was like, oh, I wish I'd have done it differently. I wish I'd reined it in and kept my <clears throat> lower tone. But that's how it was. That was the emotion, wasn't it, at the moment. No one was expecting it. And um, you just you can't preempt what you're going to do in a moment as big as that. You can't script it. I may be wrong to script it. That's just the way it came out, and I eventually accept, accepted that. And it was just my emotion. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of grown men in the stands at Wembley who uh, whose voices went very high <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> yeah, you probably weren't alone. I'll say that, definitely. I've seen a lot in the last couple of years, people like, well, I think Clive Tilsley's now making a, a side business out of it where he's actually taking his uh, notes and you can purchase them and, and and get them framed. What were your notes like? I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that you've you've got them now to look at, but were yours as detailed and as uh, I, I will say as flashy as his were? No, I probably not. Probably because we didn't have as much. I didn't have as much time to prep in those days because I was the producer as well, and we were trying to sort out the logistics. My, I know my notes evolved over the years. And they now they look very different to what they were, although I will say I still write. I don't type. I did have a go at putting it on an iPad when I got an iPad about 10 years ago, and it just doesn't work for me. I like to write it down because if you go over your notes while you're writing them, you actually go straight into your head. So you may not even need to refer to your notes come the game because you've written it the night before, a day before, and it's in there. But I've never been one for overstatting anything or, or doing, I mean, some of the guys, there's, there's a few guys, there's a guy called Daniel Mann who works for Sky, who I've never seen notes like it. He writes very small, but incredibly neat, and he laminates it as well. So if it's windy or rainy in the press box, which it often can be, he's set and he's got notes on both sides. All he does is flip his laminated sheet one to the other. I know Sam Matterface a few years ago, Sam started doing it electronically and I was like, oh, well, that looks fantastic. How did you do that? <laughs> so everybody has their own way of doing it because you know, where, you know where your head-to-head is or the referee's notes are or the players' appearances or the goals they've scored this season. You know how to get there. And you just, over time, you gradually think, oh, I'm going to put that there and there. But mine are nothing special, like pretty basic really compared to, for certainly to Daniel and to Sam. After the game then, I mean, it's bedlam on the pitch. You can see all the players are just going absolutely mad with excitement, and rightly so. You've got to, at that point, collect yourself, I suppose, because, I mean, literally the goal goes in right at the end, and that's probably what makes that goal even better. Because if it had happened maybe in the 26th minute, it might not quite have the the gravitas almost. It won't, we'll have had sort of 60 minutes or so to have got over the fact that we're, we're winning the game at that point and probably biting our way through fingernails because we're still only 1-0 up with so long left. But because it happens right at the death, it just adds that little bit of something. So you've got to collect yourself and then get either yourself or, or Tim's going down to then interview manager, players, etc. Is it really difficult at that point for you to concentrate on just doing your job or are people wanting you to get involved with the celebrations. I think at that point everything's 
everything's a bit of a free-for-all and it's all done off as an ad lib, really. I don't know whether Tim did go. He may have gone down to do interviews, but we also, in addition to Tim, myself and Steve, a colleague of mine called Nishat Adat, she's Nishat Lada now, she works for the World Service these days. She was the pitch line reporter and she had like a jetpack on her back for the whole afternoon. Credit to Nish. She's not that big. So it, she had this huge, because this is 1997, she had this huge jetpack on her back for the whole afternoon and she must have been very tired. But she got on the pitch. She got to speak to Ian first. She got on the pitch and spoke to the players. And I'd done that. I did that job for five live for about five years in a row at the cup finals after I'd left Northampton. And it's brilliant because you're right in the midst of it and you, you're you're on the pitch at Wembley speaking to a player, but you're kind of having to think on your feet incredibly quickly. And it just, you just do it. You go with the emotion. And I think all of us, we just, we just did the job because we'd, we'd been doing it. We'd been up and down the country all season Going to places like I don't know who was in the, who was in the division that year. Fulham was in the division. Were they in the division that year? Fulham. I think so. Yeah, uh, they finished second. Yeah, we'd been all over the shop, and then it all came down to this. But it's yeah, I suppose it's it's your experiences and your training. You just go with the flow, and I don't know how much longer we were on air for. We must have been on for at least an hour, maybe two, and we were waiting for players to come up. And I know there were various. I think one one or both of the Barrys came and spoke to us. MPs, people that were sitting close to us all came up and it was just, it was great. It was great. And and obviously when we did the parade on the Monday, that solidified the whole, that was just an incredible day. That was, I, I just have these images of people at Sixfields when we left, because I was on the top deck of the bus doing live interviews. And uh, so I was in a very, very privileged position to be up there. And we left Six Fields and uh, obviously there was just droves and droves of people uh, lining the streets of Six Fields, Whedon Road. I remember we got through Jimmy's End. <laughs> it's funny. I was standing close to Woody and Dave Martin, I think he was a defender. He, he, he was a fringe player at the time, but I think he'd, pl- he'd been on loan or something. And him and Woody were, were getting quite lively. And they suddenly said, we run out of beer. And we got to Jimmy's End. and. Um, Basically, through the through the crowd of players, Woody and Dave Martin exited the bus and went into the Black Lion on Mayfair, went in and came out with a crate of beer each, back up to the top deck, and we carried on again. <laughs> um, but when we, when we got to the top of when we got to the end of Mayfair and were about to go into Gold Street, my word, what a sight that was! Just looking down towards All Saints, and well, yeah, I mean, for the players themselves at the front, and and guys like John Frayne and Ian. And, and Woody and and all those guys that were involved, they must it must have been such a special moment. But I literally remember it being a sea of people from the bottom of Gold Street through to All Saints, round the corner, up the drapery, and then into the Market Square, and then obviously the market was packed as well. And uh, yeah, it was just incredible. And then from my memory, uh, Ian Atkins got the microphone off somebody, you know, the, the PA microphone. And at this point, he'd had a few beers and he started singing from the top of the bus. He's fat, he's round, he's worth a million pound in his brummy accent. Johnny Frain, Johnny Frain. And that's one moment I remember from the Market Square and everybody else started singing it as well. What a day, what a weekend. It was just absolutely phenomenal. It was, wasn't it? It was such a good weekend and, and such a good experience. And, and, I, and I know that... Although everybody does, obviously, they remember the the game, or, or at the very least, they remember Franey's goal at the end. But for many, they will also remember the commentary. It's nice 
to have been a part of it in a little tiny little way, in a small way, just to sort of be be a part of that day. And I do remember you mentioned about people listening to it. I, I remember once speaking to somebody, it must have kind of been long after, who worked, and I don't know, I remember which supermarket it was, and I'm pretty sure they worked there and they said, oh, we had the radio on. We had your commentary on because we couldn't watch it because we had to keep working. They were stacking the shelves and doing whatever. And they said when the goal went in, there was this massive, this big cheer and everybody, well, the few people that were, were in there doing their shopping, obviously taking advantage of the, the quiet day, gave out a cheer. So those sort of things are, are really nice to, nice to know. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for chatting with me, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Pleasure for me as well. Really, really nice to, to, to go down memory lane. It's really nice. And I, I think it's great that you're able to get everybody's experiences of that day because everybody's got their own individual experience. 32,000 people that were there all got their individual experience. They remember the day, what they did, where they went, what pub they went to before, where they went afterwards, the journey home. And then all the people back in Northampton who probably went straight down Welly Road <laughs> after the game, had a curry and the rest of it. Thanks to Mike and BBC Radio Northampton for allowing us to use Mike's commentary from that fabled day. We'll be back with more from the Class of 97 in the coming weeks. And don't forget to book your place at the anniversary event on Friday the 20th May at Sixfields. You can book a place for our forum with some of the club legends involved from just a fiver by getting in touch with the club or visiting the club website. Thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.